Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In today's episode, we take a look at uh, Denver Mayor Michael Hancock, who immediately after uh, stating, past the potatoes, not the COVID, got on a plane and traveled halfway across the country to spend Thanksgiving with his family. Take a look at it from corporate governance, leadership, and compliance angle. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. This is a post-Thanksgiving edition, uh, but we're going to talk about some misadventures and leadership that Matt saw from the mayor of Denver, Michael Hancock, in his actions leading up to uh, Thanksgiving. So, Matt, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome. And what uh, intrigued you about uh, the good mayor of Denver? Yeah. Hello, Tom. It's uh, always good to be back here, and I hope everybody listening had a good Thanksgiving. So, uh, Mayor Hancock, uh, yes, what intrigued me was this tale of, I guess we can call it executive hypocrisy. Um, If you have not yet heard about what Mayor Hancock did, it's a pretty clear cut, you know, you're going to bang your head against the wall as somebody who might care about corporate culture and a strong ethical culture. Everybody listening, so get a load out of this, is that Mayor Hancock uh, told the people of Denver, prior to Thanksgiving, do not go travel for Thanksgiving. That is unwise. And he specifically sent out a tweet the day before Thanksgiving, that Wednesday, saying, pass the potatoes, not the COVID, Uh, avoid travel if you can. And he tweeted that out on Wednesday morning to all of the people of Denver and, uh, I guess, Colorado, um, telling them not to travel. And then he headed to the airport, where he boarded a plane uh, to go from Denver to Houston and then on to Mississippi to visit his daughter, who had just recently moved there to begin working, and his wife had already been there. So um, he, uh, or had already arranged to meet the daughter there. So he was catching up with his wife and daughter, and he was traveling to meet his family over Thanksgiving after telling everybody in Denver, don't do that. He went and he did it. Um, So you can all guess what happens next is that people light him up on the media and on Twitter as a hypocrite and a fraud and various other not nice things, um, which may or may not be true. I am not necessarily going to uh, explore the actual dumbness of this. Well, I suppose we are. But what really what intrigues me about these tales of executive hypocrisy is more everybody loves to hear these. Everybody almost takes a certain schadenfreude in uh, hearing about tales of executive hypocrisy like that, where the leader says to everyone, don't do this, and then they go and they do it. Uh, We're always very sensitive to it, which means I think that there's something really powerful about tales of executive hypocrisy, and they tell us about how sensitive a corporate culture can be. And I think that's true whether you're a political figure where the corporate culture is a certain population or you're a CEO and the population is the employees. Because Lord knows we've heard plenty of that, too, of CEOs saying that you should not be sexually harassing or dating subordinates. And then they're having an affair with somebody on their staff. That's not news either. 
But I was more, Tom, just interested in how do CEOs talk themselves into doing something that is so clearly a bad idea and counterproductive to what they want, which is a strong corporate culture. And if you are a CEO and you're aware of this risk of being human, how would you try to lead to minimize that threat? Because spoiler alert, we are all human. We are all imperfect. Sooner or later, we are all going to do dumb things. So how would you try to neutralize that threat um, rather than have it blow up in your face? Exactly like what happened to Mayor Hancock. So that's why I wound up writing about writing about this piece. Well, Matt, before we perhaps get to some of those points, I wanted to maybe explore the why of uh, not what he did. Uh, you identified that, but the why, and you took a look at it from the uh, rationalization angle. And I wanted you to maybe explore with us uh, the what not uh, in addition to what the re- rationalization was how he came to this rationalization. Well, I think it's interesting to read his apology because, of course, he got busted for doing this. Uh, I'm pretty sure this was already being dissected in the news media before he got on his flight to Houston and on to Mississippi. It already came out that he was doing this. Um, So he published an apology. And I will read the two relevant parts here that I think uh, tell us a lot. So he said, quote, as a public official, whose conduct is rightly scrutinized for the messages it sends to others. I apologize to the people of Denver who see my decision as conflicting with the guidance to stay at home, blah, blah, blah. I made my decision as a husband and father. And while I don't necessarily want to pick on somebody for that, because I too, as a husband and father, would like to spend Thanksgiving with my family, and I think most people would like to spend Thanksgiving with their family. Um, so I see where he's coming from. But what really intrigued me was he was defining two different roles for himself. He had the professional role, where it's okay for him to tell others how they should be behaving. But then he had the personal role, as a husband and father, where it was okay for him to feel a tug in another direction And as soon as you try and define yourself that way in two different roles, you create this sort of a potential for conflict where the private role, the husband and father can say, well, yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I have this other set of interests about being with my family that, you know, I want to do that too. And so, and as soon as you define it that way, you're going down the road to rationalize and It's striking. We should always remember that most people who do something dumb, most people who commit fraud or mislead or do other types of misconduct, including this, they always start off by saying, well, that's wrong. So I would never do it. And then they rationalize, well, I mean, like I shouldn't do it, but it doesn't quite count. It's not really bad when I do it this way or it'll be bad, but I'm going to make it up like by next weekend, I'm going to make everything whole. So therefore, it doesn't count. And the anti-fraud people could talk about rationalization until the cows come home. But it just it shows how could a leader do something that is so clearly dumb, so clearly going to set everybody off. And when I posted this on LinkedIn, I was really surprised at how many people commented about just kind of they uncorked on the unprofessionalism and the damage that a leader would do by this. So clearly everybody could see executive hypocrisy is really bad and executives can see that too. And yet still plenty of them do it. Mayor Hancock did it. And how is it that they can actually rationalize 
doing a dumb thing that is going to be so destructive to corporate culture. It starts by defining a set of duties as a professional. And then I have this other set of uh, personal duties as a personal role that can exist separately. And as soon as you draw a line between those, the line becomes a fault line, becomes a crack, becomes you drive a wedge of rationalization right into it. And I think that's how CEOs wind up doing dumb things. So, Matt, actually, I saw this with uh, uh, perhaps getting to the same place, but with a little bit different lens. And when I read your piece, I immediately thought of Jonathan Marks' Fraud Pentagon, mm-hmm. which builds upon the fraud triangle, which is pressure, rationalization, and opportunity. And Jonathan Marks' contributions in the form of the Fraud Pentagon uh, include employees' competence or power to perform and arrogance or lack of conscience. And he said that um, competence really uh, is the opportunity to include an individual's ability to override internal controls and socially control a situation uh, to their advantage by selling it to others. Um, Competence and then uh, arrogance is a lack of conscience or an attitude of superiority and entitlement. Um, And it seemed to me that the good mayor really had both of those in play here that he could uh, leave uh, and for reasons you pointed out in the rationalization, in the form of his, um, uh, I'm sorry, I upset you, apology, it was the arrogance and complete lack of conscience with uh, his duties, not perceived duties, but his actual duties uh, as a governmental leader. Is, is uh, that a way we could think about something like this? I mean, I suppose it is. I am not sure how fair or unfair that might be to Mayor Hancock personally. I don't know Mayor Hancock. I'd never heard of the mayor of Denver until this all blew up uh, last week. So I don't know how sincere or insincere his apology might be. Um, It was out on Twitter, and that is not the same as giving some sort of video apology or making a personal statement that people can see and witness the body language and hear the tone of voice. Um, It is very possible for somebody to try and paper over misconduct uh, with an apology, non-apology kind of thing. I'm sorry, not sorry, whatever, because I got caught. And Twitter is a great vehicle to look like you're sorry when really you're not. You're sorry you got caught. Um, And I don't know how genuine and sincere Mayor Hancock may or may not have been. So I don't necessarily want to be beat up on him specifically too much. I think more in terms of analyzing how leaders can talk themselves into this false belief, this trap uh, where, okay, yeah, I really can get away with doing this, even though I've told everybody not to. I think as soon as the big body politic or the body corporate, if we're talking about CEOs, as soon as employees get the sense that it is compliance for me, but not for thee, or I suppose the CEO would be saying compliance for thee, but not for me. As soon as people get the sense that that's there, that's terribly damaging for corporate culture. And I think most CEOs would get that. And yet there are still CEOs who make really bad decisions and really dumb decisions. I think they're probably horrified in hindsight that they did something so dumb. Um, But we can't fight that problem unless we really understand the psychology of how people decide to do a dumb thing. And that's why I spent so much time looking at how did he rationalize this and how is it that you can define two different roles for yourself? um, And then what does that mean for how you might wind up rationalizing a dumb act or 
is that how much is it rationalization versus arrogance? I don't know. Um, I'm not necessarily sure for compliance officers it care it, it matters that much. I think what we would want to know is really understand how these problems can manifest. So you can sit down with boards and CEOs when you're, I don't know, maybe training them or talking about ethics. You can say, here is how other CEOs do really dumb things, even though originally they are just like you, Mr. Boss, Miss Boss. Um, You too think you would never do something so dumb. And there are plenty of people who also then did something dumb. Let's appreciate how they talk themselves into doing something so dumb. So maybe that won't happen here with us at our organization. I think that's the lesson that compliance officers really want to ponder when we look at what the mayor of Denver did and the hot water he got into. Well, Matt, in addition to the compliance lessons you just articulated, I also saw this, and I believe you started uh, some of our uh, discussion a little bit earlier, but this could also be seen as a corporate governance issue. One of my favorite books, Good to Great, uh, by Jim Collins, it's five levels of leadership, and level five is displaying mm-hmm. a corporate mission that is uh, more than a leader's own role in achieving that. It's empowering. I, th- I think it's empowering the employees um, to achieve the goals, but there's also a sense of personal humility, and it seemed to me that uh, whatever the good mayor was doing, he, he lacked that sense of personal humility by engaging in this. And does this actually speak to um, really a negative of, of corporate governance, or um, maybe I can flip it around and say that it could damage good corporate governance in a political institution such as the mayoral ship of Denver or in a corporation? Well, I, the way I was looking at it was more just, okay, here's the problem, is that people tend to define themselves in two different roles, and then they can rationalize that a what is a good act in my personal life might override what I'm telling people to do in my professional life. And that's a big mess. And how would you try to get rid of that? How would you try to solve that? Well, I think it's worth remembering as much as CEOs might like to say, I am both personal and professional. um, Most employees don't see it that way. They see there is one, there is the CEO and they have this one sort of amalgamated role. And we want perfection from our CEO about, matters of good conduct. Well, as I said before, newsflash, that's impossible. All people are imperfect. We are always going to have some sort of a flaw. And I think a lot of CEOs would readily agree. It's like, I can't be perfect. I'm eventually going to make some sort of a mistake. I'm eventually going to not live up to the standards I set. Okay. If that's the reality, how do we try to defuse the potential damage that would happen when you do fail to live up to your own standards that you're imposing on everybody else. And that got me thinking about this level five leadership that Jim Collins talks about where, you know, most CEOs who are at that level five of leadership, they're very self-deprecating. They're very humble. They're very much the first ones to say, I don't know everything in the room. That's why I hire smart people. Um, I don't necessarily expect everybody to be perfect. That's why we should have some compassion and judgment and wisdom when we're issuing disciplinary actions, even if most of the time the disciplinary action is still going to be pretty harsh. But they're aware that not everybody is perfect, that nobody is perfect, and they are aware that compassion and mercy might occasionally have to factor into decisions. I think if they project that and they communicate that, then when they also come up short, which eventually we all will, it will result in less harm to the ethical culture of the organization. Um, 
you know, people tend to be a pretty unforgiving, uncompromising lot when they see an unforgiving sort of CEO. And I'm not saying CEOs should be pushovers, but CEOs should be able to communicate that they understand when there might be a need for mercy as opposed to whatever normal sort of punishment might be required. You know, they would really, it depends on facts and circumstances and whatnot. But, you know, a zero tolerance policy for all forms of misconduct, I've always said, I think is generally going to be disastrous. Um, There are all sorts of ways where an exception to policy might be warranted. And if a CEO can communicate that and, and cultivate and foster a culture that is aware of these things, it becomes a whole lot easier to manage CEOs own misconduct um, as opposed to CEOs who are brutally unforgiving and punish every single ethical offense. The moment that they have an ethical offense of their own, that's going to punch a gut shot right into your corporate culture. And that's something that we have to be aware of and think about. And an interesting tangent to this is I interviewed Kim Yapchai today. She's mm-hmm. the chief compliance officer at Tenneco she said one of the things that struck her when she first moved to Tenneco to take up that position was uh, that the board understood a compliance program did not prevent every mistake and yeah. it wasn't going to be perfect and that you could uh, try to engage in training and communication. You could try to have oversight, uh, but at the end of the day, sometimes things were going to go through because, it, as you s- said several times, it's human beings out there making these decisions and Sometimes we make the wrong decisions, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. But that um, a compliance program needed to also take that into account as well. Yeah. And, you know, there it's very hard to articulate broad principles here because every act of uh, misconduct or failure to meet ethical standards is going to be unique. You know, for example, if the CEO says you should not sexually harass the interns and then the CEO goes around and sexually harasses the intern, no, I don't think the CEO should get a break on that. I think the CEO should probably be fired right away. Um, but, uh, you know, there are various other ways that uh, maybe the sort of misconduct that's in question or the ethical shortcoming that comes up is not necessarily going to be as dramatic as that. Um, I can't fault somebody for wanting to spend Thanksgiving with their family. So I don't necessarily know if that is going to be a fireable offense or not. Um it would depend on a host of different circumstances. But if you can demonstrate, you can cultivate a corporate culture that is aware of the complexities and nuances there. And as CEO, that's your job is to cultivate the right sort of corporate culture. If you can demonstrate to, to employees that we understand there are nuances and exceptions to all sorts of rules we make up, then when you too have your time in the woodshed, um, it might not be as damaging for the corporate culture could still be damaging for you as a person, as an employee, Mr. or Ms. CEO. And I don't know that I'd be that um, caring about it. You know, But if we're really, if we're interested in preserving the strong commitment to a good corporate culture, then I don't know that a CEO would necessarily care. I, like, if, I don't know if I'm making my point as clearly as I'd like there. But you, know, really, you need to have a corporate culture that can appreciate the complexities around moral shortcomings and ethical failures. Um, and if you do that, then I think your corporate culture is going to be more enduring, even when you suffer a major disaster, which a CEO violating the code of ethics, like that's a major disaster. Um, I don't know that it requires the CEO to be denifestrated or thrown out the window, whatever we call it, every, uh, every instance, but it might. 
So again, though, it's a, how do you build strong corporate culture to withstand that sort of event? That's what I'm talking about. Well, Matt, I have to say, I wasn't sure how much we could get out of this topic, but it seems like to me we've gotten uh, some leadership issues. We've gotten some uh, fraud issues. We've gotten some compliance issues. We've gotten some uh, corporate governance issues, um, as well as uh, perhaps some others that I didn't articulate. So, uh, so it's really a fascinating example, and I think uh, something that compliance officers need to take a look at it and at least think through some of the implications if they're faced with this situation. I think so, too. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance in the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Also, check out the show notes where I have additional resources available in forms of blog posts written by Matt or myself. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.